you've survived another week. Thank you for listening, downloading, and supporting the Black Man with a Gun Show. I'm your host, Ken Blanchard, your friend and brother from another mother, and this is episode 561. Talking a little bit about shotguns this week, Mindset with Michael J. Woodland, The March for Our Lives, and did you know that some gun YouTubers are actually going to a porno channel so that they can get away from YouTube's craziness? Yeah, we're going to talk about that and more coming up next. Blackmanwithagun.com Ken Blanchard's Pro-Gun Podcast Thank you for being here this week. This is one of those episodes that's definitely for the mature and the cool people in our community. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Hey, Big Mike, start us off. Thank you, Ken, and welcome to another Tips and Review segment. I am Michael Woodland, and today we're going to discuss Mindset. serious thought process about purchasing a firearm and the moment the what if happened. We all purchase a firearm for multiple reasons, but this tool cannot be considered a toy. There are a lot of us who are enthusiasts and purchase a new firearm because it will fit our need for either everyday concealed carry, competition shooting, or just home defense. Either way, you have that firearm in your possession, you will have to be one responsible for everything that is being done with that firearm, and two, get out there and train with it. We can sit back and analyze someone getting robbed or a house getting broken into, but can you consciously make the decision to pull the trigger on another human being? Pre-robbing or breaking in, we could say we're all about it, but will your decision change post-robbing or break-in? I can contest to the different variations of stress. It's not as easy as you may think, even after some training. Again, because you made the purchase, you have to get out there and train in the physical with the tool called the firearm and the mental with the tool called the brain to knock down any walls that will have you second guessing yourself. Let's just pray that you are never faced with that decision. But understand, when you are making that purchase, is your thought process there for the what if factor? After you make that purchase, ensure for the safety of your family and yourself that you will go out there and seek variations of training with this new firearm. There is a misconception that people think they are invincible when they are in possession of a firearm and do not understand that if you do not train, your actions are a little different under stress. Remember, your body only goes back to the last action of survival when training is not in the equation. For those who are looking to contact me, visit blackmanwiththegun.com and under the About tab, click on my name, Michael Woodland, and shoot me an email or phone call. Please leave a voicemail or a text message, and I promise I will get back to you. Until next week, keep shooting, keep practicing, and have fun. Back to you, Ken. Thanks, Mike. Good job. If you carry a gun for self-defense, be smarter and join the United States Concealed Carry Association so you can be covered in case you have to use the thing to protect your life. 
from the judicial system. Upfront bail bond funding, attorney counseling, personal hardship coverage, membership deals and discounts, firearms theft, liability coverage, and more. Go to uscca.blackmanwithagun.com right now. uscca.blackmanwithagun.com Last week, I talked about the AR-15 platform. This week, I want to talk about the shotgun for a hot second. One of the debates that never ends is whether or not the shotgun is still a valid self-defense tool for the home. What do you think about that? Compared to a machine that you can customize and available in every modern caliber under the sun that's getting cheaper and cheaper every year, is it hard to justify getting something with a very harsh recoil that's kind of clunky in comparison? Is the shotgun a one-size-fits-all tool for self-defense? Probably not, but it is an effective and a versatile tool for a home defense weapon. The shotgun is still a very economical option when compared to carbines and handguns. A quality pump-action shotgun can often be had for half the cost of a reputable full-size handgun and a lot cheaper than an entry-level AR. That's what makes the defensive shotgun not only more attainable, but the money saved on buying one allows for investments in accessories, ammunition, and training, which is woefully underutilized. Did somebody say training? Absolutely. Defensive shotguns still have a wide array of configurations, accessories, and ammunition types, and some are much better than others. On the other side, a shotgun offers four points of contact to steady and guide an easier-to-aim barrel. And then there's its terminal energy. In each typical shot shell of double-odd buck, there are nine pellets that combine to deliver roughly 1,500 feet pounds of energy to the target, or four times the energy of a 45 ACP bullet fired from a Model 1911. Factor in five to nine shells, capable of being fired in rapid succession, and what you have is one of the most formidable arms for home defense ever conceived. But it's old-timey. Shotguns have a long history in combat roles. They have proven effectiveness in that they have launched multiple projectiles. When that hunter swings his long-barreled shotgun at the leader in a wedge of, of geese or ducks, that person is using a multiple projectile concept to increase the probability of a hit. But when he triggers the same firearm at an armed intruder in their home, they are trying for terminal effectiveness, a centered hit on the intruder where all the pellets strike vital areas. And this is something that you get in training. Hint, hint. Almost everybody knows that shotguns are effective weapons at close range. In fact, they are so devastating in World War I that German officials protested their use in combat. Mind you, these were the very same Germans who saw nothing wrong with flamethrowers and chemical weapons, so that's definitely saying something. The standard double-odd buckshot shell sends nine thirty-three caliber projectiles downrange at velocities well above those on most handguns. It may not send an intruder flying through a plate glass window, as Hollywood might let us believe, but some of the hotter buckshot loads, each pellet has nearly the same energy as a thirty-two ACP round which is nothing to sneeze at in and itself. The ability to create multiple wound channels with one shot also greatly increases the chance of hitting vital organs and stopping a threat immediately. It may not really launch people across the room, but there are certainly a reason why the shotgun gained repetition for power that it currently has. Now, of course, all this firepower is not without its drawbacks, and one of the major ones is low ammunition capacity. And if you're worried about recoil, the shotgun doesn't have to be the shoulder breaker that is often stereotyped as. There are a wide variety 
of shot shell loadings that can reduce that recoil option if that's an issue for you. Recoil is really a, a concern though. Excessive recoil is going to have a negative impact on your training as well as during defensive situations, which means you have to get some that is in training so that you can learn how to do better. One of the things you'll learn in training of using a shotgun defensively is how to load it. There's a whole bunch of ways that you can add to that standard capacity with extended tubes and drum magazines, but the best way is to learn how to load on the move, load in high stress, able to load in low light or no light, and with practice, it helps your competency. It helps you not be afraid. It helps with your speed, and you get all that from training. Just buying a shotgun from Wally Mart or some store doesn't do enough for you. To make your shotgun run effectively, you have to train with it. You have to learn the capabilities of it. You have to learn how to navigate your house with the length and the type of shotgun that you have. Some are pump, some are bolt action, some are breech. There are quite a few different types of shotguns. And the one that makes you comfortable, the one that you can run, is the one that you get. Do us both a favor and do a little research and get some training. Shotgun, not a bad thing, but it requires some effort. It requires some knowledge. Just don't think you can get it and throw it in a corner behind the door or under your bed. Training saves lives. And for the record, you can easily miss with a shotgun. And the pattern covers only very small walls at short yardage. In the movies, scatter guns may lift grown men completely off their feet or stop large cars in their tracks. But real shotguns don't do anything of that kind. Nevertheless, the shotgun remains an excellent choice of armament for use in the home, camp, or ranch defense. Just about anywhere concealment is not an issue. It's not the end-all, do-all, but it's pretty damn good. Crossbreed holsters are some of the finest holsters in America. They are imitated for a reason. They sell holsters, belts, modular systems. The U.S. company that my friend Mark Craig had started in 2005 has been a supporter for you and I for almost a decade. Crossbreed holsters has raised the standard for customer service in the holster industry through its two-week try-it-free guarantee and a lifetime warranty. You tried the rest, now get the best. Go to crossbreedholsters.com and tell them Ken sent you. Crossbreedholsters.com Thanks, Ken, for having me back on for another Law of Self-Defense Case of the Week. I'm attorney Andrew Branca with LawofSelfDefense.com. This Case of the Week is provided for educational purposes only. If you are in need of legal advice, you must consult with an attorney in the relevant jurisdiction. This week's Case of the Week is Commonwealth v. Storms in a March 13, 2018 decision out of the Pennsylvania Superior Court, which is Pennsylvania's mid-level appellate court, so between their trial court and their Supreme Court. This case involves an apparent member of the sheepdog faction of the self-defense community who equipped himself with a fake CCW badge and a bucket full of poor judgment and put himself in a position where he killed a man and got himself sentenced to as long as 20 years in prison, all for no particularly good reason. This case involves the appellant, Mark Storms, who, while attending a Sunday church service with his wife and young son, would end up shooting and killing the decedent, Robert Braxton. 
The decedent appears to have been somewhat mentally disturbed, and he showed up just after the church service had started and almost immediately got into a loud verbal dispute, including his using obscene language, over seating inside the crowded church. Church ushers tried to calm him down, but an associate pastor noticed this only seemed to be making the decedent more agitated, so he had the ushers back away and directed someone to call the police. Once the decedent was no longer being engaged by the ushers, he appeared to calm down. Enter the appellant, who decided that not enough was being done about the decedent and his misbehavior. The appellant, who had no authority within the church and was not a law enforcement officer, decided to personally intervene into what by all appearances had been a largely resolved conflict. The appellant approached the decedent and asked him to step outside, but the decedent declined. The appellant then flashed the decedent his badge. This was not, of course, an actual law enforcement badge because the appellant was not law enforcement. It was one of those fake CCW badges that anybody can order on the Internet. Despite this effort to portray some position of authority to the decedent, the only possible reason for flashing a badge, the decedent immediately identified the badge as fake and told the appellant so in what witnesses would describe as colorful language. At this point, the appellant could have simply decided his bluff had been called and gone back to his own seat, but as one might expect from someone who was carrying around a fake badge in the first place, he decided to escalate the confrontation. He did so by showing the decedent his loaded 9mm semi-automatic pistol carried in a holster on his right hip, for which he had a concealed carry permit. The decedent responded to this display of deadly force by promptly punching the appellant in the face. Somehow, the decedent and the appellant ended up about eight feet apart at this point. Once again, the appellant could simply have decided this interaction wasn't going as well as he'd hoped and taken advantage of the empty aisle immediately behind him to retreat from the confrontation. Or he could have asked the several hundred other parishioners present to restrain the decedent from striking him. Instead, the appellant decided to square himself into a ready-fire stance and shoot the unarmed decedent twice. One of the bullets pierced the decedent's heart, and he died soon thereafter, despite life-saving efforts by fellow parishioners and emergency medical responders. The appellant was charged with voluntary manslaughter with respect to the decedent and reckless endangerment with respect to the other parishioners, and he raised the legal defense of self-defense. That meant the prosecutors would have to disprove at least one of the elements of self-defense beyond a reasonable doubt. You'll recall those elements are innocence, imminence, proportionality, avoidance, and reasonableness, and that they are cumulative, meaning if any one required element is disproven beyond a reasonable doubt, the claim of self-defense collapses entirely. After a three-day trial, the jury convicted the appellant of all the charges, and the trial judge sentenced him to 10 to 20 years in prison. Interestingly, that sentence is roughly two to three times the recommendation of the Pennsylvania Sentencing Guidelines, and I mention it because much of the trial judge's sentencing decisions appear to have been driven by his perception of this appellant as a sheepdog who was looking to live out a fantasy of intervening in other people's conflicts. Now, the discussion of why this is so is beyond the scope of this case of the week, but we do cover it in detail in our expert report on this case, which you can find at lawofselfdefense.com forward slash Patreon. Now, the appellant appealed his conviction on the basis that there was insufficient evidence of trial by which a rational jury could have found that the state had disproven self-defense beyond a reasonable doubt. 
So the appellate court looked at the evidence and concluded that, in fact, there was sufficient evidence at trial to disprove at least two of the five elements, those two elements being innocence and avoidance. With respect to innocence, the legal standard in Pennsylvania is that the person claiming self-defense must be free from fault in provoking or continuing the difficulty. Here, however, there was sufficient evidence that the appellant had provoked or continued the difficulty with the decedent. Witnesses testified that before the appellant intervened, the decedent had calmed down, and that after the appellant intervened with the decedent, he was once again aggravated. With respect to avoidance, the appellant did not qualify for Pennsylvania stand-your-ground privilege on the facts of this case, and therefore had a legal duty to retreat, if safely possible, before using deadly force in self-defense, and witnesses at trial testified the appellant could have safely retreated rather than fire the fatal rounds. Although the appellant himself testified that retreat was not an option, the jury is free to decide that it would rather believe the other witnesses than the appellant. The appellate court therefore affirmed the defendant's convictions and his 10 to 20 year sentence. Now, I'm just a small town attorney. It's not my place to tell people whether they should or should not buy into this sheepdog view of the world. That's your decision to make. I certainly don't see any good reason for anybody to be carrying around a fake badge. However, ultimately, you're responsible for making these decisions. I only urge you to make these decisions in an informed way. And if you're going to assume risks like being a sheepdog or carrying a fake badge, that you'd better bring along with you a huge barrel of good judgment. If you enjoy this content, I invite you to join us for the Law of Self-Defense live show every Wednesday, 2 p.m. Eastern. It's totally free to either participate live or to watch the recording after each show. For more information, point your browser to lawselfdefense.com forward slash show. Remember, as a listener to this podcast, you can save 10% on pretty much everything we do at lawofselfdefense.com, including books, DVDs, online classes, live classes, and more. Simply point your browser to lawofselfdefense.com forward slash black or use the discount code black at checkout. Remember, you carry a gun so you're hard to kill. Know the law so you're hard to convict. I'm attorney Andrew Branca for lawofselfdefense.com. Direct from our newsroom in Washington, in color. All right, last week we talked with Michael, and Michael interviewed Hank Strange, talking about getting his YouTube channel banned from YouTube just because he was a gun podcaster. Well, it's happening more and more. From Friday, March 23rd, 2018, from the New York Daily News, it says it's getting hard to share gun videos on the Internet these days. A recently announced YouTube crackdown on a portion of its gun-related content has pushed some users to a new, unorthodox hub willing to host their content. In Range TV, which has more than 144,000 subscribers on his YouTube channel, has opted instead to publish his videos on Pornhub. A search of the adult website turns up a series of clips, including one that sees hosts comparing a Glock 19 and a Hudson H9. Though it's listed among racier clips common to a porn site, the video appears exactly as it does on YouTube. Enrange TV on his Facebook page said the move was an effort to defend, quote, freedom of expression on the Internet. They say, we will not be seeking any monetization from Pornhub and do not know what their monetization policies are. 
We were merely looking for a safe harbor for our content and for our viewers, wrote Carl Casarda uh, and Ian McCollum, who run a popular gun review blog. YouTube on Monday announced new policy regarding gun-related content shared to its website. Starting in April, videos that offer instruction on how to make firearms and accessories like bump stocks and silencers will no longer be allowed on the popular video-sharing platform. Content detailing modifications to guns and videos aiming to sell firearms and accessories will also be prohibited under the new policies. YouTube's new policies are slated to start on April 20th. The gun community is already starting to feel the pressure, as several channels are seeing videos disappear, according to Motherboard, one popular channel. Spike's Tactical was taken down entirely for content that, according to a notice posted to the channel's Facebook page, quote, promotes violent or dangerous acts, end quote. The channel has since been reinstated, and YouTube told Bloomberg the takedown was a mistake. If you take a listen to last week's episode, you'll hear Hank Strange talk to it, in particular to his channel, Firsthand Knowledge. YouTube first began taking down videos with gun modifications last October, following the massacre in Las Vegas. At the time, the big target seemed to be bump stocks, a modification allegedly used by shooter Stefan Paddock to tragic effect. We jokingly say gun porn all the time. But pornography is any image, picture, statue, advertisement, writing, whose purpose is to create sexual titillation. In modern Western culture, sex has become such a public topic that the lines between what is legitimate and what is illicit are harder and harder to draw. In fact, sexual images have become so prominent that what used to be considered soft porn is now considered tame enough to be on primetime television. People could only get access to it in magazines behind the counter and then only at certain stores. It is no now so pervasive that virtually anybody with any kind of access can access almost any type of porn through a basic internet connection. Porn on the internet is not new. They were actually one of the first ones who started video chats, uh, merchandise online, having, uh, what's the word you use when you monetize, and uh, also using credit cards and all that stuff online. Porn industry was the first ones to do it. For more things than you realize, the porn industry has led the charge for many of the things that we take for granted that are available and used on the internet right now. It started off with them. And while I'm journeying through here, let me give you something from the pastor. Pornography is still a bad thing. Some of the reasons are it desensitizes people concerning the true significance of sexuality. It objectifies people, turning them into objects of self-gratification instead of people of worth. A person can literally be addicted to the endorphins that are released that lead to act of perversion. From a Christian perspective, it's bad because it rips people out of their personal fellowship with God. It changes our hearts. Pornography makes sex purely an object of self-gratification. In any area, when our life is focused on gratifying ourselves rather than accomplishing the purposes of God, we have put ourselves in a position which is outside of that relationship. Now, I know everybody listening to my podcast is not a Christian. So, just for the Christians, please listen. We need to be living and expressing our faith, our worldview, in such a way which not only serves to eliminate this destructive influence, but which literally changes the hearts of others. You got me? All right. And just for the sake of life itself, I personally would like to create an alternative to YouTube for a small number of people to protect our First Amendment. You know, the First Amendment to the United States Constitution prevents Congress from making any law respecting an establishment of religion, prohibiting the free exercise of religion, or abridging the freedom of speech, the freedom of the press, the right to peaceful assembly, or to petition the government redress for grievances. Did you know it was adopted on December 15th in 1791 as one of the 10 amendments that constitute the Bill of Rights? 
I'm not quite sure how I'm going to do it, but I want to do it. I'm willing to work with somebody in the know to find the money, to put together something and build it out as the demand increases. Something that we can share, something that we can have, something just for us. I know there'll be plenty of people with deep pockets that have their own thing going and there's Full 30 and some other sites that'll pop up, but we're going to have something here on Blanchard Media. I'm praying about it. Going to sort of GoFundMe or Kickstarter or some kind of thing to get it started. If you're with me, look forward to that link when it comes. And believe me, I don't think I can create or recreate a YouTube. It won't be that grandiose, but it will be a place that you can put your videos, your podcast, your media, that we honor the First Amendment. It'll be small, but it'll be ours. And it'll be able to be shared. Even bigger news is this weekend in the nation's capital and in 800 sister cities, there'll be a march for our lives. It's a huge event. They'll take place Saturday. By the time you listen to it, maybe it might even be history. But did you know that donations came from Oprah Winfrey, from George Clooney and Steven Spielberg, who each donated 500K to this thing? And there'll be stars that are dying to get their faces in there, like Common and Ariana Grande and Demi Lovato, who also plan to attend. My brother Aaron mentioned this to me a couple of weeks ago, but this is the place of marches. Back in 2000, there was the Million Mom March with over 750,000 people, and this was going to probably top it for sure. That at the time was the largest gun control rally in history. But this time they're using kids, and that also has some special sauce to it. These kids are on everything. I expect to see them on a Wheaties box next week. $1.5 million gets you a lot of exposure, especially when the people donating are also a part of Hollywood. They are getting professional help in writing their speeches, and the mantra this time is tougher gun control laws. Tougher gun control. Stricter gun control laws. If you haven't been in the fight that long, that almost sounds okay. But this week, we had a school shooting here in Maryland, too. Can I tell you what didn't stop this school shooting? Maryland's assault weapons ban. Maryland's 10-round magazine limit. Maryland's universal background check requirement. Maryland's law requiring an exhaustive application process to obtain a permit to purchase a handgun. Maryland's law prohibiting purchase of more than one firearm per month. Maryland's law requiring handgun registration. Maryland's law requiring licensing of handgun owners. Maryland's extremely limited approval of concealed carry permits. Maryland's refusal to honor any concealed carry permit from other states. Federal law prohibiting handgun possession for people under 21. But wait, there's more. There's even the law against carrying without a permit, the gun-free zone laws, the laws against discharging a firearm in public, and the laws against attempted murder. None of these things stopped that kid from shooting his girlfriend and wounding a classmate. What did stop the school shooting from going any further? An armed person at the scene who engaged a shooter in less than a minute. In case you missed it, on the 20th of March, 2018, a student gunman opened fire at a high school in Southern Maryland, killing one student and injuring another before an armed school resources officer stopped him. The murderer, identified as Austin Wright Rollins, used his father's Glock pistol. The young lady that was shot did not die instantly. She was on life support for the last two days and she just recently passed away. When her family agreed to take her off life support, I am personally praying for the Wiley family, for the kids, at Parkland, and for our nation.
Gun control refers to laws and regulations that limit guns, ammunition, ownership, carrying, and usage of firearms. Gun rights refers to the opposite. Civil liberties concern basic rights and freedoms that are guaranteed, either explicitly identified in the Bill of Rights and the Constitution, or interpreted or inferred through the years of legislatures or the courts. Some of our civil liberties include the right to free speech, the right to privacy, the right to remain silent in a police interrogation, the right to be free from unreasonable searches of your home, the right to a fair court trial, the right to marry, the right to vote. Civil rights, on the other hand, concern the basic right to be free from unequal treatment based on certain protected characteristics like race, gender, disability, etc. In settings such as employment, education, housing, and access to public facilities, a civil rights violation occurs in designated situations where an individual is discriminated against on the basis of a protected characteristic. I am not a lawyer, nor do I play one on television, but I do believe that our right to keep and bear arms is closer to a civil liberty than it is a right. As we argue one point or the other, I think it is easy, Big Steve, who asked me on Twitter, if the Second Amendment argument is close to the civil rights movement. It's similar in that everybody is trying to make a movement. Everybody wants to have something happen during their lifetime that's monumental, that's historical, but it's not the same at all. Having been around for half a century and been included in a few marches in my time, this is what marches can do. They can, one, bring isolated people together so they can organize to take further action. They can, two, energize and galvanize people to take that action. They can, three, provide publicity for a cause. They can, four, cause embarrassment or PR headaches for organizations on the other side of the issue, thus pressuring them to change. And five, they can publicize alternatives to the current model of doing things. That's our First Amendment right to do so. But marches have lost their meaning to me because of the people who are doing it and the, why they are doing it and the way they are doing it. It's not organic. It's not from the heart. It's a narcissistic thing. It's an ego thing. It's a chance to get in the spotlight, to get some likes, to get some photos, to get whatever. But it's not to serve a purpose. I'm not 100% on that. Some of that has my own biases in there. But you probably understand what I'm saying. Especially when you try to think of doing a counter rally, which does nothing. Well, that's it. I've talked about pornography. I've talked about marches. I've talked about what's happening, what happened. And only are we still waiting for the end result of this march to see where we go from here. Brothers and sisters, I know it looks a little crazy right now, but take a deep breath with me. Take another one if you need it. Remember that efforts and courage are not enough without purpose and direction. This too shall pass. We will get over this. We will get through it. You know, our side doesn't have Oprah Winfrey's money. Our side doesn't have the Hollywood, whatever, the glitz, the glamour. We don't have it. But you win a fight by winning one more round, by not laying down. The way I see it, we have to protect the dream, the dream of our nation, the dream of our Constitution, the dream of our Bill of Rights. You know, you are we the people. And this won't be the last time you have to fight for freedom. Try not to let the size of this Goliath get you down. Just be ready to fight. Blanchard.media. You know, after podcasting since 2007, 
and beginning in blogging in 2000, I have learned 999 things that don't work. You can start off right from the beginning. Be the best you you can be. If you need graphics for your blog, your podcast, album art, or a new logo, even a website redesign, I got a team and a resource for you. Blanchard.media. Yeah, it's my company. Discover what your brother from another mother can do for you. Blanchard.media. We also promote other podcasts and provide podcast editing services. Check it out at Blanchard.media. Graphic design and podcast services. Blanchard.media. All right, that's it for this week. I want to thank you for listening and supporting the show. If you are a member of our Patreon family, I'm going to try to find some stuff to give you because you're keeping me around, and I really appreciate that. If you got a comment, I would love to hear what you think, what we could do. If you want to contribute to our uh, project to have our own server, our own network, let me know about that too. You can contact me from blackmanwithagun.com or on Facebook itself, for now anyway. You know how that's going. Let's make our country hard to kill. Until next time, this is your friend and your brother from another mother, Ken Blanchard. And just in case nobody has told you this today, I love you, and it's not a damn thing you can do about it. Shalom, baby. Until next time, friends. To keep in touch with Ken and his cause, head over to blackmanwithagun.com. Blanchard.media.